Well, good morning. Godly servant leadership. We need it, don't we? It's badly needed in our country. It's needed in, in our homes, in our schools, in our communities. It's needed in our church. Godly servant leadership. But even as I say those words, they, they feel funny next to each other for some reason. Godly servant leadership. The words are strange together because of our culture, because of the way we've uh, failed. We haven't led. We haven't been godly and we haven't served well. Well, if you've been around here very long, you know that we've been talking about uh, what it means to be the church. Um, We know that we can't be the church unless we actually have families that are serving the Lord. God has a design for the family. And in the family, we each have roles, unique roles, husbands, godly husbands and fathers, godly moms, wives, children, obeying their parents. There's a, there's a, a design to the family. And when we live that design, guess what? It works. And then when we bring those families together, then we become a family of families. We become this grouping of these families. And God's also got a design for that. He's got a plan for that. So what's interesting is those godly fathers in our individual families should be godly fathers leading the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful design. And so last week we started a little three-week series called I Love My Church. And uh, we're so excited to do this series. This is the second week. Last week we talked about commitment and covenant. What does it mean to be committed? That's another word that's a little foreign to us uh, today. What does it mean to covenant? What is a covenant? We talked about that last week. And so today, uh, we handed those covenants out there in the back. If you don't have one, get one before you leave. But today, we're talking about that second page of the covenant, which is about our elders. They are to be godly servant leaders. That's who they are. Godly fathers and uh, men who want to serve in humility. That's what they should be. Next week, we'll be talking about kind of our role as partners in the church Uh, But this week, I want to focus on our elders. The term elder goes back all the way back to Moses' day. And uh, we see in the New Testament that Paul even borrows some of these terms. He uses terms like um, elder, uh, bishop, overseer, pastor. He kind of interchanges these words a lot in Scripture. And uh, he even borrows, you know, in the time, he borrows from some of the government, of the Greek government and, and Roman governments, just so people kind of have an understanding of, of what this leadership can mean. So then he takes it and he puts it in the New Testament. Now, we see Paul and Barnabas in the first missionary journey. They're doing, they're being obedient to Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission is what? To make disciples, right? That's what he said. Go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I've taught you. Teach them to live this out. This is what Jesus told his disciples and us, right, to go do. So we see Paul and Barnabas doing the very thing Jesus said to go do. They're going and they're preaching. And as they're preaching, the Holy Spirit is moving. There's miracles happening that are just phenomenal. And as these miracles take place, the Holy Spirit uses that in people's hearts and lives, and they realize there is a God He is a miracle-working, amazing God. And as he does that, their hearts are drawn to him. The Holy Spirit is drawing their hearts. And they get saved. They they come to Jesus and they want to follow him. And so now we have these groupings of new believers, these followers of Christ, kind of in these different cities. Well, what's cool is 
Paul and Barnabas don't just kind of preach and say, way to go. People don't just get saved and want to say, I want to follow Christ and see you next time. You know, we see this really interesting thing that Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're coming back around to these cities and they're helping to establish these believers. They're helping to disciple them, helping them to know all the things that they need to know. Look with me, if you would, at Acts 14, verse 21 through 23. We're going to see them doing something um, that's awesome. They're not just making disciples. They're not just preaching. They're appointing elders. They're appointing leaders to help these folks become more like Christ in their walk with Christ. Acts 14, 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Listen to this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So after they've gone and they've preached, and now there's these pockets of believers in these cities, that's not enough. Paul and Barnabas come back around to these cities and they go, hey, you guys still doing well? Where you? They strengthen them. They help them get established. And then as these people are growing, they begin to choose godly servant leaders to lead. These elders, they appoint these elders. Uh, it wasn't just a one occasion thing. In other words, this text is not just historical. It doesn't just describe what happened in Acts in the early church and the expansion of the church. It also is prescriptive. In other words, it's telling us how do we establish believers? How do we establish the church? We preach the gospel of Jesus so that people can know the Lord. We help them be established in the faith. We help disciple them to, to live a life that honors Christ. We appoint elders. We plant churches. And it's, you know, theologians call uh, this the Pauline cycle. In other words, this just keeps going. And so as those elders continue to lead, now those elders begin to preach. And then they begin to make disciples, right? And then those other disciples begin to appoint elders. It just keeps going and going. And guess what? It's going to this day. All around the world, the hope and the prayer is that the Pauline cycle is taking place and the church is moving forward. The, the kingdom is advancing. This wasn't just a one occasion sort of a thing. This wasn't just a historical thing. This is the strategy of God for the church. Jesus had a plan for his church. And this is it. We see this playing out, right? Make disciples, appoint elders. Make disciples and appoint elders. Now I want you to notice something else about this. Just a little side note. Uh, Paul's direction, and we can even see it historically in the text, this is not just necessarily a single elder. This is not just one pastor to the church. There is a plurality of elders. We see it all throughout the, the New Testament in churches like uh, Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, the church at Ephesus, the church at Crete, the church at Lystra, the church we just read from uh, uh, in Iconium and uh, Antioch. Of course, we know this is consistent with even Solomon's teaching, right? In, in Proverbs 11 and 15, he says, in, in a council of many, there's wisdom or safety. In other words, when you're making a decision, it's not necessarily a great decision to make it on your own. Involve people, involve others who love you and love the Lord and, and help you make big decisions. That's exactly the reason for a plurality of elders, so that there is wisdom in the council of many. We also see Paul speaking, you know, his, his protégés are Timothy and Titus. 
And at the end of his life, he begins to give some real specific direction to these guys. And so he speaks to Titus in chapter 1. Look at it with me. Chapter 1, Titus, verse 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained in order. I'm not finished with my work there. There's some things left undone, and I need you to put them in order. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It's an unfinished work, Titus. I wish I could have done it, but I didn't get to. At the end of my life, I need you to do this. This is the mission of God and the strategy for the church. We need you to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Still something that that needed to be done, and he's leaving this responsibility to Titus. Those elders are going to oversee the the development, the discipleship of these believers who've come to know Jesus. Now they're going to grow to be more Christ-like. And there needs to be wisdom and direction given. But listen, not just anybody can be an elder. You can't just kind of walk in the church and go, ah, that sounds like I'll take that job. I'll do that, right? It's actually a pretty specific list of who can be an elder. Um, and <laughs> as foreign as it sounds to say godly servant leadership, you know, we don't see a whole lot of that in our culture. Sometimes we don't see it a whole lot in our churches this list is a pretty, it's a pretty specific list. I want to look at them together today. Paul gave a list to Timothy, and he gave a list to Titus. And I want us to read them both, can we? This is going to be uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband... Of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So this is a list Paul gives to Timothy. He gives another list that's really similar, but a little different to Titus. Titus 1, I'm going to read verse 5 again, and then we're going to look at the list that he gives to Titus. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it very similar you can hear very some of the exact same qualifications given in both lists and yet there's some in the list in Titus that's a little bit of a tweak on the one before i think these are important enough that we need to just kind of break them down quickly. Can we do that? So starting with Titus, I mean with uh, Timothy's list, first thing he says is this, he needs to be above reproach. There doesn't need to be some air of scandal around this man. When you say some, some man's name, you don't need to go, 
oh, I've heard some things. I'm not sure about that guy, right? That doesn't need to be swirling around his uh, personality or his family or his name or his life. He needs to be the husband of one wife. So that makes him a man. He needs to be a man. He needs to only have been married once, not divorced. It's important. He says this in both lists. It's very important. Next, he needs to be sober-minded. He needs to be reasonable. He needs to be sensible, right? He needs to be self-controlled. In other words, the way I like to think about this, he, he doesn't need to be an addict of something. He doesn't need to fly off in rage. He needs to be able to have restraint in his life. He needs to know who he is in Christ. He needs to be consistent in who he is. He needs to be respectable. In other words, people have an appreciation for this man. When they hear his name, they go, oh, that's a good guy. That's a good guy. He needs to be respectable. He needs to be hospitable. He needs to live a life where he's used, you see him putting other people first a lot. He's used to serving other people, right? He's used to caring for other people's needs. It's just who he is and how he lives. He needs to be able to teach. He needs to have an understanding of the word, knowledgeable in scripture. He needs to even have a grasp on relevant issues so that he can take the word of God and address those issues of our day. He needs to not be a drunkard. In other words, he doesn't need to abuse substances of any kind. He needs to have restraint in his life and that self-control we talked about. He doesn't need to be violent, but instead gentle, right? He doesn't need to be quarrelsome or easily angered. You know, sometimes there's just guys that just fly off the hook. You don't want to drive with them because at any moment, somebody's going to pull in front of them and it's going to be bad news. You know what I'm talking about? And yes, we can all kind of go there sometimes. I, I get that. But this doesn't need to characterize his life. He doesn't need to be a lover of money. He doesn't need to uh, trust his wealth over his God. He needs to trust God more. He needs to love God more. He needs to be financially wise. He needs to give sacrificially. That needs to be the pattern of his life. He needs to manage his own household well. It says in the, in the text he needs his, his children to be disciplined, Right? He needs to uh, have his affairs in order. Just needs to be honorable. He needs to have a stable home. He needs to keep his children submissive. What does that mean? It means he just needs to be a good dad. He needs to love them well enough to discipline them. That's what Scripture says that God does with us. He disciplines us because he loves us. And that's what a good father will do as well. He needs to love them through discipline. Now, I want to just stop for a second because Paul stops for a second. And he makes a kind of a side comment that's really important here. He says, if a husband or father can't care for his own home, how can he care for the church? This is exactly what he says in verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Isn't that interesting that Paul stops this list to give commentary? This is how important it is that we have godly fathers who father well, fathering in the church. Because if they, it's almost like he's saying, hey guys, this is a deal breaker. Like he may have a lot of these other things, but if he's not managing his own home well, then he won't manage the church well. This is a very important kind of a side uh, note that Paul gives. He says he shouldn't be a recent convert. This is not a new faith for him. He has tried and tested in his walk with Jesus. And then he says he needs to be well thought of by outsiders. He needs to have a good reputation. All right? And then Paul gives this list. A very similar list. 
but with some tweaks to Titus. I want to look at those. In Titus' list, he says this. These are, the, these are the tweaks, by the way, okay? The tweaks are his children need to be believers. No, I think that's so interesting. Because what it's saying is he needs to be a disciple maker, not just out there. You know, some pastors, some preachers, some evangelists that, man, they know how to do it out there. And they don't know how to do it back here in their home. They may seem like all of this out there, and then they get home and they're nothing compared to what they were out there. Have you ever heard of those kind of folks? Yeah, we start here. We start internally here. And then with my wife and with my children, is he a disciple-making man? Not just out there. It's not just what he says, it's what he does. And it has to be so important that he begins with his own family. His children are believers. He's not open to a charge of debauchery or insubordination. Listen, he's not a flirt. He's not struggling with, with some kind of pornographic addiction. He's not dealing with things. People don't know him for that, being that kind of a guy. He also needs to be willing to submit. He needs to be able to submit, obviously, to God, but he needs to be able to submit to other men. He needs to live a life that is a submissive life. He's not going to be arrogant. He needs to be a humble person. He needs to be a lover of good. Scripture calls that rejoicing in the truth. You know, I love uh, different times around the city where we're going to dinner or we're out with the kids or whatever, and I see... If I see things happening that are just, they're good things, I, I just, they've smi- I make, they make me smile. You know, a father loving on his child, being sweet to his child, whether he's a believer in Jesus or not, that's a, that's a godly act. He's doing something that's beautiful. It's a good thing. And I, I start smiling. And I start waving and like trying to encourage that father. Man, you're doing it. Go. Or somebody's helping an elderly person across the street. You know, whatever the religion may be, <laughs> that is a good thing to do. And I find myself smiling going, yeah. That's a good thing. These elders ought to be somebody who rejoice in the truth. They live uh, godly lives, but they love good. This next list is a daunting one, by the way. He says, be upright, holy, and disciplined. Upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, I'll just tell you, as an elder of this church, this whole list is uh, it's a serious list. To live an upright life. I mean, it's just, I mean, these men need to be known for living honorably, upright. But they need to be holy. Now listen, none of our elders are holy apart from Jesus. None of us. The Bible says our sins are as filthy rags before a holy God. So what this is saying is, listen, we understand that our position is not one we've gotten to by ourselves. The holiness we want to walk in is only by the grace and mercy of Jesus. We understand that. But hopefully our lives are indicative of somebody who seeks holiness, who walks in holiness, who wants to honor God with his life. That's what that's saying. To be upright, to be holy, to be disciplined, to have uh, habits in his life that help him to stay a godly man. Discipline is habits in your life that kind of lead you back to Jesus. They keep you coming back around to what matters most. That's what discipline is. A life uh, lived for God with consistency, okay? Here's the next thing. He needs to hold firm to the trustworthy word he's been taught so that he can teach sound doctrine. I love that. I just have this image of our elders just, they value the word of God. It means everything to them. And, and why? So that they can know it, yes. 
So they can live by it, yes, but also so they can teach sound doctrine. What is it we believe as a church? These elders need to be able to explain that. And it needs to be explained from the truth of the word of God. And here's the last thing. They need to be able to protect, to rebuke those who would contradict it. And listen, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of our culture contradicting the word of God. So these elders need to be strong men who feel confident in their knowledge of Scripture to be able to protect it. It's very important. These are the two lists. Now, like I said, they're not identical, and I think that's very interesting. You know, I, I don't know if there's tweaks were made uh, intentionally, if it's the Holy Spirit led him to do this, but one thing I do know, if you have somebody you're considering as an elder, and you take them through these two lists, and they're still on the list by the end of the two lists, you got a good man, Right? I mean, if you, if you can take somebody and go, check, yeah, that's he, yeah, he's that, well, yeah, that's a pretty, if you can get all the way through the list. Now, listen, what's cool is any of our elders will tell you, I am not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus, but does my life, is this indicative of my life? Is this how I'm trying to live my life? Is this the whole of my life? Is this kind of who I am? Is this what I'm known to be? very important that they meet these requirements and that they, uh, you can get all the way through these lists with the men that you're considering. Now listen, we use these lists here at South City. When we pick elders, we don't have some list we came up with. We go, those lists are good enough. We're going to take those two lists and other scripture and say, are these, do the men we're considering, do they, do they fall into this list? That, that's how we vet our elders at South City Church. But there's some other things I want you to know, and I, I've given you some blanks on the back of your uh, little card this morning if you're following along. Some other truths you need to know about elders. Number one, you need to remember this. Listen, you picked them. You recommended them. And the reason I want you to feel the weight of that is because there is power in congregational ownership. We want you to feel a part of recommending these elders. Now, I will tell you this. In Scripture, it's very clear, just as in the Titus passage we read, Paul says for Titus to appoint the elders, doesn't he? He says, Titus, appoint the elders. And so the elders that are existing in the church appoint the elders, but you recommend them. Does that make sense? There's, there's a precedent for this in Acts 6. You may remember we talked through this last summer, and we're about to start our next uh, Acts series here in a couple of weeks getting excited about that. But one of the things we talked about at the end of our time in Acts last summer was this passage in Acts 6, where there was a problem in one group of the believers, the Hellenists. And there was just stuff going wrong. People aren't getting fed. They're being overlooked. It was a bad situation. And so the disciples get together and they go, what are we going to do about this? How do we fix this? And their, their way to fix it was, you know what, let's tell the Hellenists, hey, bring some names of honorable, godly people some men that you know, and, and let us have those names. So there's a precedent for saying, hey, church, who are some people that you know are living a, a lifestyle that is godly and honorable? And so they gave them some names, and we know that those were the seven Hellenist brothers, and God uses them tremendously, right? But ultimately, the elders appoint those uh, that are recommended. So this is what it looks like. Uh, in this past season of recommendations for elders, I think we had... I don't know, maybe six or something. I'm not sure the exact number. Maybe six or seven men recommended as elders. We took that whole list before the elders, and we said, hey, guys, here are the men that, that have been recommended. They're all good men. They all love the Lord. 
But let's look at this list. The elders then prayed over that list, and we looked at that list and looked at what we needed. And then we appointed three elders we believe God led us to. So there's something I want you to see here. You recommend the elders. The current elder board appoints the elders because we believe that's scriptural. But neither you or, or us choose the elders. This is what I mean. Look with me in Acts 20, verse 28. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit chooses the elders. Read this with me. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Yes, you recommend them. And yes, our elders appoint them. But listen, we're just a small part of this whole process. God has been at work in these men's lives. He's been at work around their community. He's been at work in their families. And ultimately, I believe this verse to be true, not just of the elders in this passage that Luke is referring to in Acts 20. I believe he's referring to elders that we choose and appoint. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit chooses the elders. The elders. Listen, this is what we have to do. And I, we, we just had an elders retreat this weekend. So if you see some extra bags under some eyes around here today, that's, that's probably the reason. We had a good time. These are godly men. And I just believe if we put our heads down and we pray and we seek the Lord and we do exactly the way he's laid out for us to lead his church, to care for his church and choose the elders that he wants, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the men that he wants. And I believe that's what he's done. Here's the next thing I want you to know. Elders are chosen to be servants of the church, serving in humility. See, there's this weird thing in, in leadership a lot of people think, oh, he's a leader now. Look, whoop-de-doo, whoop look how what a big man he is now. Oh, he's got all the power. Or those guys, are just the, they're just the power board. All they want to do is, you know, throw their weight around. You ever heard those kind of things and felt those kind of things? Can I tell you, that is, there's nothing farther from the truth for your elders. And I say it with all seriousness because I know it to be true in my own heart and these other men. That is the farthest thing from the truth. These men, every single one of them, if I asked them to, they would with joy sit up here and wash every one of your feet. They would do it figuratively. They would do it literally. I know it. They are servants of God Almighty. They love him, and they love to serve you. Jesus told his disciples some uh, leadership axiom. He told them, this is important. If you're going to lead, you need to know this. And this absolutely filters down into us as elders in the church. Look at this with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through, uh, well, that doesn't make sense. 42 through 45, probably. Uh, 42 says this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those are, uh, who are considered rulers of, uh, and Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, this is the point. Jesus is saying to his disciples, leadership's a paradigm shift. It's not what you've seen. It's not what you understand. Leadership is actually about how you can serve the most. Leadership is saying, hey, who wants to be the slave today? Yeah, let's see how many volunteers we got of that. 
Who wants to volunteer to be the slave of everyone else? But we don't think of leaders like that, but I promise you, godly servant leaders are the slave of all. They are the servant of all. They need to stay here the longest. They need to do the dirtiest jobs. They need to care for you, however it needs, whatever that means, because that is their role. That is their role, to love and serve you in humility, not in power. Not in, not in power, not, not in even their own interest, but in the interest of the whole church. Here's the other thing. Leaders in the church are a gift to the church. Uh, we talked about this probably a year and a half ago in a series we did called The Healthy Church. And uh, I want to read this, read this with me from Scripture, Ephesians 4, verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then drop down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen, if there's one thing that we need to be, it's thankful for the gifts that God has given us in the men he sent to lead us. Amen? <laughs> they are gifts to us. According to Ephesians 4, they are a gift to the church. And when they lead as godly servant leaders, oh, what gifts they are to the church of Jesus Christ. We should be thankful for them. Listen, this is a serious one, and I want to put some weight behind it here. This is the next one. It says, these elders will be held accountable for how they lead. And even as, as our elders are sitting in a room today, I hope that in their hearts they feel a little drop. <laughs> I hope they feel some uh, gravitas. I hope they feel the gravity of this moment. That we are held accountable for how we lead as, as elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no, uh, no advantage to you. Now listen, anytime you start using words like obey and submit, right? Every one of us start going, oh, what? Do what? Say what? But if they're godly servant leaders, it's okay. In fact, we should all submit to somebody, right? That's how God's design has worked. I, I submit to the elders. They are my bosses. When they, they decide... Uh, uh, the things for the church, we'll talk about that in a minute, but they are the men that, that hold me accountable and care for me and pray for me and our whole staff and our budget and, and oversight of the church. But they, they're going to give an account. How we lead will be accountable to God. And so uh, the writer here in Hebrews says this, he starts with this, obey and submit to their authority. In other words, God has given them authority over you. And though our culture makes you go, oh, that feels weird, the scripture of God says it's the truth. And this is how we follow. And this is how we love. Now, just as Mark was saying here, the, telling the story of Jesus to his disciples, they don't, we don't lord it over anyone. But instead, we lead through service, humility, as a slave to all. Now listen, we can't lead if you don't follow. That's just real simple. We want to take this text literally. We have to keep watch over your soul. So the, here's the question. 
How do we do that? How in the world are, are a few men supposed to keep watch over your souls? Because you might come in here for service and I could go, hey, good morning. Uh, I'm not, I don't see your soul. I don't see the whole of your life. I, I don't see how you're living. I'm not able to keep watch over your soul from up here and what I'm saying. What does that mean? It means we need to be involved in each other's lives in a more intimate way. It means that church alone is not enough for a believer. Coming to church, coming to a service, it's not enough for a believer. If you look at Acts 2, we're not, going, we're not taking all that. They say they met every single day. We're not quite there yet, right? We're not saying, don't, we're not saying meet every day. We're saying walk your life in authenticity with other people so that they can keep watch over your soul. Listen, we're in this series talking about a commitment, talking about our covenant. This is the very purpose of the covenant. This is the very purpose for it because we have to give an account for your lives, for your spiritual life in Christ. God will hold us accountable. So I know our culture is, hey man, I'm just gonna show up at the church, they got some good music, somebody's gonna take care of my kids, and then I'm out. I may be back next week, I may be back next month, I may see you at Easter, I don't know, maybe never again. We're not a society of giving of ourselves in a commitment sort of way. And covenant even feels deeper than that, and guess what it is? Because God has called us to live a life that honors him, and we need people we submit to in our lives that, that will be accountable to God, that encourage us in Christ's likeness. This is the purpose. This is the purpose of the covenant. And these team of men we call elders, they want to care for you. We're, right now, I'm, I'm, we're having a blast kind of talking through how are we going to care for our small groups. Our small groups are now going into the city, and now we have small groups in, in Benton and Bryant and here in southwest Little Rock and in west Little Rock, and we've got them all over the place, and you can be involved, and we hope every one of you will be involved. Let's surprise our leaders and have 30 people at each group this week, and that'd be awesome. The point of this is that we walk life with one another because we need Jesus. I don't know if whether you notice this or not, but when you walk alone, you seem to fall off, right? Hebrews 10 even says, encourage one another more because the day is approaching. Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen. And we need to encourage each other all the more to be the body of Christ that he wants us to be. Listen, following any leader, I don't care if it's at work, I don't care if it's in your home, uh, if it's in our government, following any leader uh, is an act of obedience and, and submission. Anytime we do that, it's an act of trust. I like this quote from Mark Dever in his book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He says this, we should therefore desire to see our, in our church the right balance of authority and trust. It is a serious spiritual deficiency in a church either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or to have members who are incapable of trusting. As individual members, we must be able to thank God for the leaders he puts among us, to recognize those so gifted and to trust them. In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks of such leaders as God's gifts to his church. We should cultivate a church culture in which such leaders are honored and esteemed. At the same time, however, the kind of trust that we're called to give to our fellow imperfect humans in this life, be they family or friends, employers or government officials or even leaders in a church, can never finally be earned. It must be given as a gift. A gift in faith, in trust, more of the God who gives 
than of the leaders he had given. This is an act of trust. But we're asking you to trust Jesus more than us. We're going to continue to submit to him and each other, but let's trust the Lord who by the Holy Spirit has chosen the elders he's given us. And then lastly, once you've determined kind of the, the qualifications of, of the, the list for these elders, these men, uh, they meet the qualifications, the criteria for elder. That's good. And once you talk about some of the things that have to do with what it means to lead in the church, that's good. Well, then lastly, I want to talk about what are their roles? What are they going to do? And this one text of Scripture so succinctly puts it so perfectly in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look with me, if you will. Verse 1, 1 Peter 5 says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, even Peter's saying to, to the church, I know that there's some people who get this wrong. There's a lot of people who get this wrong. And there are leaders who, domin- who are domineering. There are leaders who are in the ministry for selfish gain. There are leaders who jack this whole thing up. I get that. But it's not an excuse to not be obedient to the word of God for the leadership and the design of his church. We have to be obedient. We have to follow his plan for the church. Three things I want you to see that are going to be the roles of our elders. Number one, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. In other words, this is relational care for the body. Now, um, let me remind you here what a shepherd does, in case you forgot. Shepherding back in biblical times, it was the lowest job on the totem pole, so to speak, okay? Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Let me, let me give you a biblical example. You remember David when he was anointed by Samuel. Samuel says to David's father, Jesse, I want to see your sons so that I can anoint one of them, or let me see your sons. So Jesse brings all of his sons except David. David's just a lowly shepherd, and he's the runt of the litter, so he probably doesn't mean David. He doesn't even get David. <laughs> How would that make you feel as, a, as the youngest son, right? I'm the youngest son. I kind of understand this whole text. It wouldn't feel that great. David didn't even know. David's out there playing his guitar, hanging with the sheep, you know. He didn't even know. Samuel goes down the list from the tallest to the next, and the good-looking guys, and they're strong, and, and God's saying to Samuel, nope, 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 nope. And finally, he has to go get David and realize David's the one that God is going to anoint this day. The point is this. Shepherds are are the lowliest. They have a gross job. I went on a cattle drive several years ago, and it was all dreamy until I got all up behind those cows, right? Ugh. They're gross animals, and they're not smart. And uh, they run off places they shouldn't, and you've got to bring them back. This is what we do as shepherds for the church. We feed. We feed, we lead, we protect. It's our job to give you the truth of the word of God. That means in these services, the word that we give you needs to be consistent with the traditional word of God that has been trusted for 2,000 years. It needs to honor Jesus. It is his holy, perfect word, right? 
He has spoken it. It is the truth. We have to be faithful to protect that. Listen, we also need to seek the Lord for where we're going, the direction of where we're headed. Follow the Spirit of God. We need to protect the church from within and without. I think this is very interesting. I want to look back at uh, Acts 20, verse 28. Luke describes this for us. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. One of the jobs that David had, right, was to fight the lion and to fight the bear, to fight the wolves, to to protect the flock. And what Peter's saying is, man, there's going to be influences outside of the church. And now with social media, they're all over the place. Now with the internet, they're all over the place. There's preachers that are preaching a word that is not the historical trusted word of God. And whether we know it or not, some of it's coming in. We have to be careful to to lead you and help you know what is the truth. But, But even scarier sometimes than outside influences is what Peter's saying. There's also inside influences. There are people in the church who will begin to say, man, I don't believe what they're doing is right. I just, I don't know, man. And they start making secondary and tertiary issues the main thing. And it's not the main thing. And I promise you, that will lead us away from being the disciples God wants us to be. we got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? It's the elder's job to protect the flock. Here's the second thing. They should exercise oversight. At a 30,000-foot level, they need to be aware of what's going on. And, and be available uh, to lead the organizational aspects of our church. They help sustain the mission of the church. Are we still doing the things we need to do and why we need to do it? Is the main thing for us still the main thing? We need to always keep that the filter before us. Are we supportive of the ministries in the church? Do our pastors and ministry leaders have the resources and the things they need? Have they been encouraged today? We need to support them. We need to steward the resources of the church to make sure that we are honoring God with how we spend the money that we spend, the money that you give, the missions that we give to, how we help people in benevolence, in every single thing we do. Are we doing this in a way that honors God? Are we stewarding what he's given us the way God would have us to steward it? And then they just give overall management to the staff, to the pastors, and protection of the vision of the church. And then lastly, their role is to be an example. To be an example, to model an authentic life in Jesus. That they be worshipers, they be men of integrity. To be known for sacrificial leadership in their marriages. To be known as lovers of Jesus, worshipers of Jesus. A man that, that lives out the mission and vision of the church. And basically, you remember that list of criteria? Men just live up to that. If we just live up to that, if we've been characterized by that list, then let us just continue to live in such a way that we can try and live up to that. So this morning as elders, and we have had four elders of late, and that would be myself, Pastor Jerry Kidd, and we've had two advisory elders as well, John David Smith and Bill Wellens. You, you know who they are. You've seen them, most of you. Uh, they couldn't be with us today. I'd hope that they would be with us today so that we could thank them for their service. Um, but they, neither one of them could be with us today. And so 
um, we will have them and they will come and we can give them, we can level them at, at that point. But our elders feel so very confident <laughs> that these men that we're bringing before you today, there's three men we're going to commission as elders today. D. Brown, Justin Elrod, and Jeff Franks. These men, which you recommended, we believe they meet the, the list of requirements that we just got through talking about in Timothy and Titus. We believe that God has led us to these men by his spirit, that his spirit has chosen these men. And we appoint them as elders of South City Church. We believe that they will serve in humility, <laughs> and we are quite confident, without a doubt, they are God's gift to us. So I, I just want to ask that uh, these men go ahead and come on up here with, with me, if you would, today. Justin, Jeff, D. Yeah, let's give them a hand. Guys, why don't you stand right there? I'm so thankful for these men. We've been praying for you and for this day, this weekend. And, uh, man, I just love these guys. Men, I want to say some things to you really quickly here before we do this. This isn't a fancy commissioning. This is uh, an encouragement to you. I want to say, and I've already said it this morning, listen. We will be held accountable for how we lead. That's a sobering thought, I know. But I count it as a great honor to serve with you on this elder team. And we as a church, we want to say thank you for being willing to serve. Thank you for being willing to humble yourself and serve our church in this way. And we encourage you to lead us the way Peter has directed us to lead. We want you to shepherd the flock. Feed, lead, protect this flock. Always praying for them, James says. We want you to exercise oversight. Manage God's household with integrity and humility as servants. And then we want you to be an example for our people. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, and this is a tough one. Listen, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a scary thing to say as a leader. But we need to be willing to say that. Our lives need to be in such a place that we can say, church, follow us. We're going to follow Christ. Follow us. Guys, may our lives lead people to Jesus as we do that. South City, this is what we're going to do this morning. Before we close, Pastor Jerry is going to come. Go ahead and come up here, Pastor Jerry. I want to present to you your elder team. The five of us will make room for you over here. These are your elders of South City Church. This is what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for you to extend your hand. Definitely if you're a partner, but everybody can do it, it's okay. Extend your hand towards us, and Pastor Jerry's going to pray over us. He is going to commission these new elders to lead in our church. And at the end of his prayer, he's going to say, we, we, we submit to these leaders, and, and, and by saying amen with us today, we give them the strength and the support to lead as the elders of our church. Pastor Jerry, will you, will you pray for us this morning? Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to just call upon your precious name today. Realizing, God, that you have said, if you come to me, I will hear you and I will answer you. 
prayer. Today, God, we've heard the message from your word of how you have set your church in order and how you have proclaimed that elders should be appointed in every church to care for your flock, to care for your people. God, it is such a privilege for us today to be involved in a service where we can stretch forth our hands as a body of believers. And we can, God, humble ourselves before you, asking your divine presence and your intervention in the lives of these men. Oh God, how we thank you for each one of them. We thank you how that they individually uh, take your word and, and use it in their lives as an example for their daily walk. And how, God, that they proclaim that word to others. And how they exhort others to be that kind of, of man and wo woman in their lives. And so today, God, by the authority that you give to us in your church, we stretch forth our hands today, commissioning these men to be those leaders that you have designed for them to be in this church. And we ask, O oh God, your holy presence upon this commissioning and all of God's people, as they stretched forth their hands, said, Amen. 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 And amen. amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Praise God. Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank you, guys. This is a big deal for our church. Let me tell you why. You know, we had advisory elders because we needed advisory elders. We needed them. God was moving over two years ago in the process of what is taking place. And today is a historic day for South City Church that we have leaders from within our body that we can say, lead us. And I promise you, this is not just, uh, this is not the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> these, these men are godly, good men, and I'm so excited to humble myself and to serve them, submit to them, and to lead you with them. Thank you, men, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. We love you. Amen. Can we give them a hand? Before you leave, if you will, just go say you love them. You're praying for them because they need it. You saw that list, right? They need your prayer. They need your prayer. Hey, listen, before we go. I just want to say very seriously this morning, what a, what a privilege to have you with us today. We're so glad you're here. We really are. It's an honor for you to be with us. We are, if you're looking for an imperfect church, man, we are, we're a good one. Full of imperfect people led by broken, imperfect people who've been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's all that we have to boast in. Hey, next week is a very important Sunday for us. It's going to be our Covenant Sunday. If, if for any way 
that you can be here, be here. We're going to talk about, this will be our last uh, message in the series, I Love My Church. We're talking about what does it mean to be a partner here in this church? We don't say, we don't use the word members, we use the word partners, and I'll explain that more next week, and there's an explanation on the uh, covenant. But what does it mean to partner? And, and if I've been a member at Temple, am I, aren't, am I automatically going to be a member at South City? What does that look like? We're going to talk about all that next week, okay? But what's so important is next Sunday night, if you are partnering with us, if you are going to be part of this church, come to this covenant service and covenant with us to be the people God wants us to be. Some people, you know, it's easy sometimes when you see a, a, a line there and that you want somebody to sign it, you kind of go, oh, what does that mean, right? It should give you pause. It should. I'm glad it does. So, Girl Scouts come to my door and, and I'll order some cookies. Probably not, but I might, you know. And they say, well, just put your name there that you're, you're planning on paying. And we go, sure, I'm going to. We'll sign things all the time, all day long. And then we start talking about what does it mean to sign something that says, I'm going to live for Jesus in my life and I need people to help me be the church. And we go, oh, what does that mean? What? This is the most important thing in your life to serve Jesus with all of your heart and to do it with other people who love him and love you and want to be committed to him and you. That's what this is. And it's going to be a beautiful service next Sunday and next Sunday night. After we finish our service next Sunday night, we're going to have some hot dogs and hamburgers and ice cream. It's going to be a fun, fun night together. The service will be only about 45 minutes long, 5 to 5.45. We'll take communion together. We'll worship we'll share and we'll covenant together to follow Christ as South City Church partners, okay? Hey, we got something kind of fun as you leave here. Uh, Pastor Daryl used to be on staff at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a ginormous church. How many people do they have on? It's a small little upstart church. 26,000 at least. I mean, it's a big place. Uh, they had done this series called I Love My Church, and they gave away t-shirts to that many people. And uh, so they had some left over. And we're not about some left, I mean, we're about some leftovers all the time, right? I mean, I'll, I'll take them. You bet. And so uh, we were saying, you know, we're doing this series called I Love My, well, let's see, could we call the series I Love My, let's call the series I Love My Church. And they sent us over 400 t-shirts. And so now, we're going to use these t-shirts for baptisms and different things, but what we want to say today is if, if you're a part of our church or if you want a t-shirt, we want to give you one for free this morning. we got a lot of different sizes, but we don't have a ton of every size. So if we run out, I'm sorry, but we kind of have what we have. But we're thankful to Southeast for sending us these shirts, and I hope that they not only are just a free t-shirt, I hope they display the truth of our hearts. I love my church. I can wear that with full uh, assurance that it's the truth of my heart. I love my church, and I love what God is doing in us. So get back there. There, If we can have some guys helping with uh, sizes, we'll hand those out. By the way, just one per person. Don't take some for your aunt and your uncle and your okay, cousin. Just one per person because we want to save them. We want to use them for baptisms and other events. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Don't miss next week, okay? Thank you for coming. Have a great week.